Today is a good day to look beneath the surface of your symptoms, isn't it? What's really going on down in that soil of your life? My name is Josie and I'm a natural nutrition clinical practitioner, a wife, a mom, and today your host. I've been on a journey for over a decade of learning how to take a root cause approach to everything that ails me. I've learned that we're just too interconnected for band-aid fixes to ever work. I'm deeply honored to connect with others across the country and across the globe who are also passionate about whole person wellness. My hope is that the conversations in this space would leave you feeling inspired and empowered to walk out lifelong whole person wellness. Let's get into it. What's up Roots and Fruits community? So happy to have you back. Episode 7. Can you believe that? I can't. (laughs) Yeah, today we're here with Natasha Welch talking about concussions and this might feel random if you've never had a concussion or like something you're not really interested in but I encourage you to listen anyways because you never know who in your life would benefit from this knowledge and maybe you will one day maybe you're like me and you've had a few air quotes minor concussions um back in the day maybe in childhood maybe playing sports maybe you had a fall and maybe you weren't really given much information or treatment options and you might be fascinated by the way that concussions actually affect your brain no matter if you hit your head or not and Natasha's going to get into all of that so Without further ado, let's get into it. Today I'm here with Natasha Wilch. She is a physical therapist with a focus on concussions and she also mentors other clinicians on how to care for people with concussions. And I'm so excited to chat with her today. Welcome to the show, Natasha. Thank you so much for having me. I'm excited for us to like meet beyond the Instagram DMs. Yes, that's right. I know I connect with so many people on Insta and then I mean, the reality is probably not going to see them all in real life, but this is kind of a happy medium of seeing your face and having a conversation. Absolutely. Yeah. And so I always like to start by asking what your story is, which I, I, I get is a bigger question. I'm sure you have a summary, but why are you doing what you do now with concussions and how does your story fit into that? Yeah, I'll give you like, I'll try and give the Cliff Notes version. <laughs> yeah. Um, because in truth, like where it started and the reason it started where it is to where it is today has has shifted, right? And I think Mm -hmm. there's an evolution to why our stories keep going the way they're going, right? So um, for me, when I, so I own a clinic in Nanaimo, BC. And when I opened my clinic, I treated stroke, spinal cord, Parkinson's, MS, like a neurological general clinic. Um, And there was this day that this woman was referred to me and her OT referred her in because she had a concussion and she wasn't recovering. And the thought process was, well, Natasha's a neurophysio and concussions the brain, so let's send her to Natasha. And this lovely woman, I'll never forget her name, I'll never forget what she looks like, um, came and sat in front of me. (laughs) And I looked at her and I said, you know, like, I'm really sorry. I have no idea what to do. And I was like, but if you'll work with me, I'm willing to learn. Um, And I always say, like, whether it was because she didn't have anywhere else to go. <laughs> she, she stuck with me. Um, and I, I literally enrolled in my first course two days later. Um, but the beautiful thing with her is she she was the catalyst that like sparked this, like opened this rabbit hole that I dove down with two fate. And like I said, or I dove down, dove down head first and I've never looked back. And it was this piece of, then I started to get more concussion clients. And what I started hearing 
And I couldn't understand why all of a sudden I was like super passionate. Like I really didn't know where it was coming from, to be honest. Um, but then I started hearing like, this is what this is happening. This is what's happening in my family. And like, this is what's happening in my relationship. And like all those other pieces that happen that no one talks about, um, people would start sharing these things. And I finally, like, it was like a, like a light bulb one day. And it was like, they're talking about me. Like there's a piece of me that gets this because I'm very open and like, I've never had, like, I've had like an acute concussion that was maybe like good to go in two days. Like, honestly, I don't count it as a concussion. But when I was 17, my dad had a head injury and a log rolled off the back of the truck on his head. Um, And he was in the hospital for a month. And when he was discharged, he like, this was now 20 some odd years ago. um, He looked the same. His voice was the same. He wasn't the same, right? So I was 17 and no one explained to my mother at the time or the 17-year-old daughter or my 15-year-old brother what this could mean. And what it actually translated to was a dad who was super irritable, which meant I had to be super quiet when I walked around the house. And it was like walking on eggshells because he had a pounding headache or dizziness or like you'd have a conversation And then he had short-term memory issues. So then there would be forgetfulness that the conversation was ever had. So as a 17-year-old girl who does not understand, now I look at it, I'm like, well, now I understand. But as the 17-year-old girl who didn't understand, it was like, I have to walk on eggshells. I can't be my like normal self. I am not worthy because my dad doesn't even remember what I'm talking about. Like all these different pieces that are no one's fault is just what happened. And so as I started seeing more and more concussion clients, it's like it lit this fire of like, I don't want people to have to feel that because there's no reason they should. Um, And so that kind of was my initial like driver. And then as honestly, as my years, I've been working with concussion now for seven or eight years. Um, So as my years kind of continued, now it's my clients that keep me going, right? It's my clients, both the patients that I get to see who come back to me with like the amazing stories of like I always share the same like I have the same ones that come to my head all the time like the young woman who like was felt like she was in a place where like she could start a family now and like or the mom who's like I can now run and play with my son or the one who could go back and finish her PhD or the gentleman who could go drive the big rig again like these things are the things and now because I mentor clinicians too it's the clinicians being like this is what's happening and like this is what's my clients sharing and it's like celebrating their wins too so what started as like my own personal, like, oh, I hear you, I see you, I don't want you to have to experience this, has shifted into like celebrates the celebration and the the joy of what I hear my clients, both patient and clinician, share with me that keeps me going. That's so beautiful. And was it out of this place of like realizing that there's maybe a gap for some clinicians that you started to also mentor clinicians? Because I'm I'm super curious like how that all came about. Yeah. So it's kind of been, a, it's, it's been its own journey in itself. So it started with just like clients that I would see locally. Um, and then we'd get clients that started traveling to the clinic from like just elsewhere on the island. And um, it was always the like, I've seen so many providers and like, I'm not getting better, right? Or I've seen like five, six people and like no one's getting better. Um, and then I started doing intensive models. So intensive models is where someone comes to Nanaimo and they work with me for a week intensely in my clinic. And then I support them virtually for like three months after. And when I started offering that model, well, now I started getting clients from all over Canada and the US. 
because people, and then I started getting consults and doing, so I do virtual consults for people on health and concussion journeys. And I was doing consults for people around the world. Um, and I was just like this, and, and the common theme was like, they're like, Natasha, like I got more out of this hour with you than I've gotten out of all the providers that I've seen. I'm like, that's like cool. And that's not okay. And so my big mission, when I talk about my big mission, my big mission is to elevate the conversation and culture of concussion around the world. A, I can't do that alone. Um, and B, it was like, there's only one of me. And there's only so many hours in a day. Like I can't help every single person out there. And I, so for me, it was stepping back to be like, so how do I help more people? Because we're creating change in people's lives that they're not getting in other places. And so it was kind of this piece of, I need to show other people what I do and train them in what I do so that they can go help people. Because for every clinician that I can support and mentor, they can now go help hundreds of thousands of people. Uh, and so for me, I say like, I'm at the point, this point where in my career, my clients fly from all over Canada to the US and we have someone coming from the UK, which is both amazing and people should be able to find care in their own area. Um, and so for me, it's really about helping bring clinicians to a space and a level where they can do amazing things and they, ha they have that deeper knowledge to have those bigger changes um, so that more people have access to really kick-ass care. Yeah. And, and what is it that you do that you're teaching other people and that, that is otherwise lacking? Like what makes what you do different? The first time I asked this question, I was asked this question, I was like, I don't know. <laughs> I'm just me. <laughs> Yeah. Um, but in truth, there's a couple different things from just, let's say from like a neurophysiological level and like a systems level. Um, I understand things not as well as some people for sure. Um, but I understand things at a pretty deep level, right? I understand how our systems integrate and how they work together. And so much in healthcare today is so siloed. And by siloed, I mean like nutritionists do this piece and, occupational therapists do this piece and PTs look at the neck and like a cardiologist looks at the heart and then no one talks, right? But the human body doesn't work that way, right? Like the human body does not break things piece and out. So the way we approach a, someone coming in with a concussion from just that level is we do what I call the integrative multi-systems assessment. And we look at every single system. We look at autonomics, vision, vestibular, cervical, affective, somatosensory, all these pieces. We look at what's working well, what's not working well, how are things talking that should be talking together. And then we build a plan that addresses the root issue of the symptoms. Mm -hmm. So like we had, a, I had someone message me once and they were like, Natasha, we're at a concussion clinic. And I asked, you know, what are the profile of concussion? And they're, they told me they just, they don't, there's not different types of concussion, they just treat symptoms. And I was like, I really hope that there's like a mis just communication happening here because if all you do is treat symptoms, I always say, let's take dizziness. Dizziness is a, is a symptom. Dizziness comes from the neck, the autonomic nervous system, anxiety, the eyes, the vestibular system. So if all you're doing is treating dizziness, how are you choosing to treat that dizziness if you haven't looked up at the root of what's driving the dizziness? Mm -hmm. So what we're very good at is that full picture to find the root to make the most effective treatment plan specifically as possible for the person. The second piece truly is just our like, I'm gonna say like our humanistic approach, right? So often when you think about when you go into healthcare appointments, 
there's the doctor, there's the patient, there's like, and there's, I, I can't think of the right word, but it's like for me, the other piece that I very much educate on is creating safety and the power of relationship and rapport and communication and what that does for the nervous system to help you come into my space and feel safe which brings you into a spot of parasympathetic, which then opens our window up for the greater ability to challenge your system in the way we want to challenge it for healing. Because when we live in sympathetic or fight or flight, we can't heal there. And so what else as a clinician besides our skill set? Because if our person is living at like a super high sympathetic state, no matter what your freaking skill set is, you have zero window to actually access it. Yeah. So I very much teach to how else do we create safety in our clients so that we can then use our magic and like our sciencey stuff mm -hmm. to help them heal? And so that is another whole element that I teach that you will not see in another concussion program. <laughs> yeah. Wow. I'm like, I need to pause and go talk to my husband and be like, we got to go. Because <laughs> like I'm recovery journey and like everything you're saying I'm like uh because it really like it takes away from healing it's not that healing might not be like totally possible but a it's so inefficient like I'm going to all these individual people who are one person thinks it's this you know chiropractor says this massage says this um eye doctor says this GP says this physio says this um how nice would it be to have that experience of coming in building connection and trust with a practitioner and then also getting that whole assessment I love it so maybe you'll see my name signing up soon <laughs> yeah. um, and I love that you talked about kind of like both in your story and in your answer there, just like that you sound to be very intuitive. Um, you obviously have a lot of knowledge and understanding and science background, but talk about kind of your intuition as a clinician. I know on your website, it says you're both logical and intuitive. And I love that. I think it's important to like have the self-awareness to trust our intuition, but also to continue growing in knowledge. How does that all fit together for you when you're helping any, you know, given patient on a day. Yeah, it's, you know, the day I did that Instagram post where it's like I'm both yeah. science and spirit and logic, I was terrified to do that post. Oh, Because yeah. A, I'm a female in a very like male dominated medical world. Like when you look at who the concussion experts are out there, how many women do you see? Yeah, not many. Yeah. <laughs> right? And so I remember like, I remember the day like that, like this is, I'm a little bit wooey, hence the like spirit part. Um, <laughs> like I'm going to say like, I remember the day like that post like poured through me and I typed it out and I was like, I was scared as shit. Sorry for my language no, no. to do that post because I was like, we're in a world today where people are like, everything needs to be evidence-based. Yeah. Everything needs to be science. Mm -hmm. And obviously like, I read obviously like we need some research and we need some science. It's like, but if that to me, if that's all you do, you're missing an essence of like the humanness of it. Um, and I realized like I don't just do that.
how does my intuition show up in a, in a day-to-day? So this is a really great question. It changes for every single person, to be honest. It's a trusting in myself that like if I, if something doesn't feel right in my treatment plan to like follow that thread a little bit, right? It's, there was a client, she, she came for an intensive and she sat, so obviously we're like, you know, what are your challenges? Like, what are your, I'm always like, what are your wins? Like, what are you, that sort of thing. And so she started talking about um, like the functional things and the challenges and like return to work and all those pieces. And I just sat there and I could just look at her. I could just feel it. And I was like, so then I went and sat beside her and I like, and I looked at her and I just said, that's all fantastic. I said, now tell me what you really want to tell me. And she just started crying. But we got to the root, and I'm obviously not gonna share what she said, but we got to the deeper like craving in her heart, the deeper blocks of what was holding her back in her recovery from beyond the physical piece of things. And if I didn't trust myself to read what I was feeling from her body language, to go sit beside her and create a different space and change that arrangement in that relationship, I never would have gotten to that spot. And I have watched this woman. I say growth is can't always be measured in objective measures, right? When you look at someone who's been on a persistent concussion journey, like there is a whole other slew of things that happen with your inability of like worthiness and self-compassion and belief in yourself. Like there's all these other things, these deeper things that can come up. And they need to be addressed too, if not first. And to watch this woman grow in the last few months in those areas, like she is a different person today in the best way humanly possible. But it was that moment of intuition that was like, I need to ask the deeper question. Sometimes it's in, in treat, sometimes it's in treatment too, right? So it's like, um, I, I don't do somatic therapy per se, but like I'm a Bobath trained practitioner as well. So I do a lot of like facilitation and movement type stuff too. Um, and I don't do it for all my concussion clients, but sometimes there's just these moments of like, I put my hands on someone after a consent, obviously. And I'm just, and I just like, nope, like this isn't the right, this isn't the right thing. And so I step back and I'll look at the person and be like, are you willing to try something different with me? And that's where the trust obviously comes into play. And um, and they're willing to kind of explore this, like, it's always like a bit of a movement journey. Um, and they're like, yeah. And again, it's trusting. And then it's intuitively like, there's no rhyme or reason why I'm going to move right or left or up or down. It's like eyes closed, hands on the person and following their lead in their breath. And again, that is a very like intuitively guided like piece of it. But Sometimes it's my intuition that sparks like a shift in questioning. Sometimes it's like a pullback on a certain treatment to go a different way. Um, the funny thing is, is I can always go back in the moment. I can't explain it. Right. In the moment, I just have to trust it. I can always go back and walk through it after. Mm-hmm. Um, but, so that's where yeah. that intuition and that logical piece kind of meet. Yeah. yeah. I love that. And I, I really resonate with what you said around kind of the emphasis these days on evidence and research. And I'm like really struggling with it. There's so much more than that. And sometimes I feel like this, I'm trying to bust through it, but this 
pressure to like every time I post something, it might just be like something coming from my heart that I've seen in my practice. And I'm like, well, I don't have a study to back it up. Mm -hmm. Like what sets you apart that like that connection, it makes all the other stuff probably more effective. So we've talked a lot about, I mean, we've been mentioning concussions, obviously that's your jam, but some people listening might not have ever had a concussion, um, might have maybe, um, I don't know if it's outdated or incomplete or just a different kind of understanding of, of what concussions are. So how would you describe like what actually happens in a concussion? And then also like, like is there a scale from like minor to severe and how that all, um, yeah, how that all plays out here? Um, so it's so funny. So I have done this poll on my Instagram more than once that I'm like, when, for, so obviously my Instagram is people with concussion and clinicians. Um, mm-hmm. And I always ask because like, why didn't you think you had a concussion? It's one of the most interesting polls I do. The most common answer I get, I get two. The most common one is because I don't play sports. Huh. And then the second most common one is that I didn't hit my head. So a concussion technically is a mild traumatic brain injury, right? So it happens when you have an acceleration deceleration mechanism um, that causes disturbance within functional disturbance within the brain. So what's actually happening within the brain is like you get a neuro, you get inflammation, you get decreased blood flow, you get some inflammation. It's a cascade of neurotransmitters and yada, 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 yada. Ultimately, it disrupts how you function, mm-hmm. um, and it's supposed to be temporary. It's transient, um, and with the microscopic level that the injury that's actually happening, you don't see it on imaging, right? So if you go to the emergency department and you do a CT scan or an MRI, you're not going to see anything. The way we diagnose concussions is through objective, like functional testing, and through your symptoms. And so when I say an acceleration, deceleration injury, um, so that almost always happens like through the neck, um, you don't need to hit your head. The force, right? So concussions need a pretty, like when you look at the research, they say you need around 70 Gs of force, which is a pretty significant chunk of force versus whiplash can actually happen at like six Gs. So to give you context, if you have a concussion, you need to get your neck checked out too. (laughs) Um, But that can happen through just like a blow to the body that or anywhere on your body or like through example, like a car accident that that force gets transmitted to your body and then up to your head. So you don't need to hit your head. You don't need to lose consciousness. And the other thing that makes it a bit tricky sometimes is symptoms actually don't need to show up right away, right? Symptoms can show up hours later or it might be days later, especially depending on the mechanism of how the concussion happened. You've done nothing but rest for a couple of days because your body was hurting so much. And then you try to go back into life and now all of a sudden you have these symptoms. So once of the, there's kind of these three, there's three kind of categories of symptoms and there's seven profiles of concussions. I'm going to talk about the categories of symptoms because it's just kind of an easier way to wrap your head around. You can have physical symptoms, cognitive, or like emotional are kind of the, the three main categories. So those physical symptoms fall into things like dizziness, neck pain, blurred vision, nausea, vomiting, um, more vision issues, headaches, that sort of stuff. The cognitive symptoms are things like memory issues, 
feeling, just feeling slower. Or people will say like, I feel like I'm in a fog or like something just doesn't feel right in my brain. Like those are really common terms. Um, memory issues, word finding issues. Those are all cognitive symptoms that are absolutely related to concussion. And then when you look on that emotional or affective stuff, it's like um, irritability, inability to control your emotions, either feeling really like extra anxious or apathetic or depressed, like tears, um, all these different pieces. So a concussion doesn't affect just one piece of your brain. It's a very diffuse injury. And so you can have multiple symptoms that might not feel like they make sense to you, but they can all be related to the concussion itself. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's super interesting. Um, with the with what you talked about, the seven phenotypes, I believe you call it, mm-hmm. um, I'm sure that could be a whole other episode. And I know you have a couple episodes about that. So if someone wants to learn more, they can go listen to your podcast. But could you give a brief summary of it for us? Yeah. So the, this has been out since, so it's so funny when we talk about research, right? So we say it takes on average seven to 10 research, seven to 10 years for research to meet clinical practice. The phenotypes actually first came out in 2014. And so many people still don't know about them and they're not a standard practice for concussion, right? So um, the seven phenotypes, and depending on where you read, now there's definitely been some shifts in that some people will say there's five, some people combine a couple of them, but we're going to talk about it in terms of seven. So there's the cervical phenotypes of the neck. There's the vestibular phenotype. So kind of inner ear and how that cooperates into, um, sorry, and central nervous system. So that the vestibular system lets you know where you are in space. It processes like how quickly you're moving, things like that. It's linked into cognition and a bunch of other things. Then there's your visual or your ocular motor. So it's not necessarily 20-20 vision, but it's how your eyes move together and how they process the world. Then there is autonomic or physiologic, so the autonomic nervous system, looking at blood flow, looking at other things that the autonomic nervous system controls. Then we have affective, um, which is like emotion or mood, so anxiety, depression, all those different things. Um, Then we have headaches. Depending on where you read, headache will be the phenotype or migraine will be the phenotype. Um, but we know that some of these other phenotypes can be the drivers for headaches too. So just kind of that piece of it. And then I always do this. I always forget the seventh one. Cognitive. There we go. <laughs> Cognitive fatigue is the other one. <laughs> As I'm having trouble with my memory. Yeah. <laughs> I know a girl. Yeah. <laughs> oh, so cognitive fatigue is the other one. So those are our seven phenotypes. And super important for people to realize, most people have more than one. Mm -hmm. This goes back to our brain doesn't operate in silo. So it makes sense that if you have vestibular issues, the vestibular system works very closely with the ocular motor system, so there's probably gonna be some overlap. Migraine has correlations with vestibular as well, right? This is showing up in the research. So um, it's very common that you have multiple of those profiles when you have do you want to ask you one question that's on my current like concussion recovery journey and just see what you have to say because I think maybe someone else will also benefit but mm-hmm. when you talk about the ocular uh is it ocular motor that you said or okay 
Um, yeah, I just actually had like an eye exam um, for my concussion. Finally, I've been I've been putting it off because there's so many appointments I've been going to. But and he was saying that like my one eye is sitting a little bit higher than the other, and that's why you know I'm getting dizzy and nauseous and all these things. Um, what what is that? Like, why does that happen? Because that wasn't there last exam, right? That has to be related to this MVA that I was in. So that's called a skew deviation. Okay. Okay. So okay. Um, quick test for you. What I would say is when you yeah. so when you're I can't tell through a screen, um, and you have this yeah. this skew. When you lay down flat on the ground, does it rectify? So because a skew deviation, so that's what that's called, can be, and so that's gonna affect how you focalize on, a, on an object for sure. Um, but a skew deviation can come from the eyes, but it can also come from the vestibular system. And so in your case, it would be if you're working with, because I know you have had and are still doing stuff, if you're working with a PT or someone who is versed in vestibular rehab and they haven't looked closer at your otolith system. Like in my ears? Is that that, that one? The otolith is a, is a part of the vestibular system. Okay. Yeah. Um, they need to explore that. Yeah. Interesting. Yeah. And so that's a, a case in point for like, it's all connected. Is it possible for someone to have all seven? Yep. Or not so much. No, yeah. Oh, wow. Crazy. <laughs> yeah. Okay. So, so I'm sure that obviously all of your patients or clients are getting individualized, you know, care treatment plans, but what are kind of like the foundational healing aspects in your opinion for concussion recovery? Oh, um, so I say globally, it all starts with the nervous system. Um, absolutely we need to do like so you for example and like what you just shared i'm looking at which eyeballs lower because i'm going to dig into that otolithic i'm going to explore that otolith a bit more i'm also going to explore the other side to see if there's hyperactivity but then from that i'm going to base turns that i do in a certain way head tilts that i do in a certain way which foot do i want you to stomp with more like that's how individualized it's going to get in terms of your vestibular piece right um but as a whole it really is like it starts with the nervous system and it starts with ensuring that your client actually has the capacity to do the rehab, right? So some people are baited at that like higher resting state that we have such a small window to even begin to challenge. If you're already living in fight or flight and then I just go push you further into overwhelm and knock you on your butt for five days after, how does that help you? Mm -hmm. It doesn't, mm -hmm. right? So sometimes there is this piece of like, A, what do we do within each individual session to ensure we can actually have more capacity to do the work? So we, there's always an autonomic component that we do to like build, build what we do within our treatment sessions. And then what are we doing and empowering you with on your own as a, as a patient and someone who just wants to live an amazing life um, for your own tools that we also know help increase capacity of the nervous system. It is foundational um, because it's like if you, if we're driving a car, for example, and we have a quarter of a tank of gas, like that's how much gas we have. That is the capacity of that car and the distance they can go. I can keep pushing you and keep pressing on the gas and keep like trying to accelerate. If there's nothing left, there's nowhere to go. Mm -hmm. 
right? And so if I've exceeded your capacity, I am not helping you by continuing to challenge you. There needs to be a balance and a dance. Yeah, wow. That's really good. I find that in my nutrition practice as well. It's like you can tell objectively there might be a good recommendation for this person, but like reading the room, (laughs) um, are they ready for this? Like, right, what's your capacity? That's a really big conversation. Okay, so I want to finish by by talking about, um, you know, is it too late to ever like recover from a concussion? Maybe people have persistent symptoms that after listening to this episode, they're like, oh yeah, I did. You know, I was in an MBA 10 years ago and I've had headaches since and no one's ever told me this. What do they do? Where, uh, where do they go other than obviously coming to see you? <laughs> um, yeah, tell me more about that. So first answer to questions is it's never too late. Ever. Mm-hmm. Um, most mm-hmm. of the people that I see um, have been on this journey anyway. So I, be, I see, I, I do see acute, um, but most of the people that fly in, it's anywhere from 18 months to like seven, eight years. Um, I have, I have a gentleman who comes here um, who he was discharged from like every vestibular rehab program and told that nothing was going to change. And we have made epic change in his measure. Wow. Um, and so it is never too late. The body, like the whole concept of neuroplasticity and change is, is possible. Um, obviously, the, the longer it's been, there's multitudes of factors at this point that you need to address more than likely. And so it may be longer and it may be slower. Um, I always say the intensives I do too, like they're not a magic bullet. <laughs> they are 100% like a giant step forward. Um, but we still got work to do. Like concussion recovery is work, um, but it's never too late to make forward progress. Um, where do you go? Well, that is the golden question. Isn't it? <laughs> um, this is that question is the reason I have my concussion nerds program. Right. Yeah. So that I can support and train other clinicians and nerds around the. I, we call them nerds. Um, around the world so that when someone reaches out to me from Lethbridge or from somewhere else, then it's like, do you have a concussion nerd in? <laughs> and it's like, I just did, I do a free call every month called concussion mini school for people with concussion. And I actually, we had a new, we had some, we had some new people on it last week or yesterday. We did it yesterday. So we had new people on it yesterday. And it was amazing because I got an email from this girl after being like, this was so great. Thank you. Like I heard about um, mini school from this person like she's and she's like she's one of your nerds and like she's been instrumental in my healing and I'm just like mm-hmm. yes Yay. <laughs> that is so good the word clinician I mean you can have different designations and areas of focus like mm-hmm. what uh clinicians could do your training and mentorship yeah and so I say clinician because it's like I don't care what your profession is um, it's your job to operate within your own scope of practice, but technically and typically the people that find nerds most beneficial because it is a lot of physical rehab stuff of things, to be honest. Um, most of the nerds are PTs, chiros, OTs, um, ATs. Um, we have acupuncturists we have two different acupuncturists in there though. We've had neurooptometrists come through. We've had a naturopath come through. Um, we have massage therapists come through. So truly like that community is meant to be, A, you have my mentorship through it and you do a core curriculum. Um, but like the acupuncturists that have gone through it, it's just refined them and where like they know to use their craft to understand the brain better. Um, and so it's been, honestly, it's like, we have yoga therapists that are in there, um, that now are taking what they understand with like the brain and the body and like developing this like other stream of yoga to really target 
things too. Like there's some really cool people that have come through nerds. And I just say like, here's what this program is. Here's the amazing piece to it. And then you take what you need from this into, especially if you're not a physical therapist, Cairo, AT, or like the general, like the other professions, like you take what you need to this into your world. Um, so yeah. And then where can listeners find you, follow you for more info, drop your Instagram website, anything you, your podcast. Yeah. So I was, it's, uh, those things. So I do, I have a podcast called the concussion nerds podcast. Um, the episodes are literally meant to serve clinicians and people on a healing journey. Um, so that's always a great place. I also try to keep the episodes under 30 minutes. <laughs> um, I like to talk a lot. Um, Instagram is always a place you can reach out to me. I mean, that's how you and I connected. Like I'm in my DMs all the time. Um, so it's at Natasha.Wilch. Um, and then from Instagram, like there's my website and all that stuff too. But um, honestly, the podcast would be like one of the best like free resources of information. Um, and then my Instagram, if you want to reach out to me and connect to talk about any of the ways to like work deeper with me in my world, there's absolutely options, but like, let's just, just start a conversation with me. Yeah. I love that. Thank you so much for your time, Natasha. It was my pleasure. What an amazing conversation with Natasha. I feel so grateful to have spent time with her. I couldn't finish this episode without talking a little bit about nutrition for concussions. Number one, don't overcomplicate it. Eat well. Whenever we're healing, we need good food. We always need good food. But if you're looking for a place to start, definitely just high quality protein, high quality fat, lots of fruits and vegetables. Turns out that if you eat real food, that's, that's the food that's good for your brain. The brain is made of over 70% water. Electrolytes can be helpful, coconut water. One thing you might want to incorporate is lion's mane mushroom. That's something I've been doing as much as I can. I was doing it every day, I've been forgetting recently, um, <laughs> which means I need it more. But lion's mane mushroom has so many studies done on it for the brain, um, in particular brain injuries, concussions, Alzheimer's, memory issues. There are a lot of neuroprotective factors about lion's mane mushroom. It is really good for nerve regeneration, which of course we uh, everyone could benefit from because we're all tending towards entropy in some way. But if you're more of an anecdotal evidence kind of person, I can tell you that I do notice a difference when I take it. And now that I'm talking about it, I really want to go take it, but it's almost bedtime. So I'll be taking it tomorrow in my morning matcha. Next week, we will be chatting with Jordana Sade. She is in Ontario and she's a holistic nutritionist, but also has a degree in behavioral psychology. So her approach to nutrition is really interesting. I think you'll find our conversation somewhat fascinating. So be sure to tune in then. But until then, guys, have a wonderful week and don't forget to tend your soil. Bye.